Welcome to our podcast. We talk all about the excessively nice type C personality. I'm Dr. Corey Gleed, a clinical psychologist. I'm Anna White, a former Wall Streeter and recovering type C. Type C people hate disappointing others, carry the weight of the world on their shoulders, avoid conflict, and suppress emotions. Many of us identify as type C. Our health has suffered and we want to learn new ways of living healthier. On this podcast, we'll pull from our own experiences and also learn from experts. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Today on the podcast, we are talking about type C not feeling well and becoming isolated because we're not feeling well. So people with type C traits often have health issues like chronic fatigue, chronic pain, migraines, insomnia, digestive disorders. And sometimes these health issues can be a direct result of type C patterns where we've overextended ourselves either at work or home. And that's usually a result of trying very hard not to burden anyone or disappoint anyone. So we just want to bring awareness to this risk of isolation when we're not feeling well, because when we're not, we might avoid making social plans or we might cancel them because we don't feel good. And isolation can also create more time for us being too hard on ourselves. We feel different. We ruminate a lot. We worry a lot. And that can compound the problems and exacerbate not feeling well. Absolutely. And I think it's just important to also talk about that there are so many aspects of the type C personality that can be at play here and can contribute to feeling emotionally and physically not well. So, you know, we may not make plans because we don't feel well enough to make sure that everyone is having a good time. That is definitely something that many type C people can fall into that trap. We may not want to burden other people by talking about our health issues or we may feel guilty because we can't be the excessively supportive friend that um, so many people are accustomed to being and we pride ourselves on being. Unfortunately, when we're not feeling well and we are less socially connected to people, we also may realize that we end up doing a lot of the organizing and planning and reaching out um, and checking in on friends. And so sometimes this can show us that our relationships and friendships are a little lopsided and out of balance, that we are doing way more for others than they do for us. And we may become aware of this, which definitely can make us feel more alone and a little bit more isolated. Definitely. I know when I was dealing with chronic fatigue, I became a little bit isolated. There were some mitigating factors for me, but I barely had enough energy for my job and my family. And that's kind of where I concentrated my energy. So social activities really took a back seat. And I was lucky because I was able to continue working and my job, you know, I had a lot of friends at work. I, I had some social interaction there. That was good. And my husband, who's from Yorkshire, is basically has the just get on with it mindset. So he kind of just dragged me along, even though, you know, left to my own devices, I would have just stayed home in bed. So jury's out on whether that was actually a good strategy that he did that or not. Maybe if I had taken more time to rest, I could have gotten over my issues more easily. But at the same time, I did stay somewhat social. But, you know, it's interesting because I, I struggled a lot with when I did open up to people about how I was feeling, I would get a, a range of reactions. And I think a lot of people with chronic illness struggle with this, especially the people who outwardly look okay, 
And a lot of type C people do outwardly look okay because we're, we don't want to disappoint you. We don't want to make you feel bad. So we're kind of keeping on, keeping on trying to put on a brave face and put on the pleasant face that we are so accustomed to putting on. So there were times when people would say things like, oh, you know, you look great. Or I know, I know I'm tired too. And so when you hear things like that, it can just make you feel dismissed, dejected. You can start to feel hopeless. You feel like I'm trying to open up to you and you're really not hearing me. And you're making me feel like I really shouldn't be complaining about this kind of stuff. And, and then you can start to feel like, well, maybe it's easier just to be alone with my problems. And I don't want to start sharing. I don't want to share any of this stuff because you're, you feel like you're burdening other people as well. I was just going to say these examples that we're giving, obviously these are examples from Anna's experience, but the examples that were given before, those are all examples that I've been told by patients. So this is stuff that we're not just kind of coming up with, but, you know, I definitely, I have patients who've directly told me that, you know, they're not going out specifically because they can't be the person who kind of makes sure that everyone else is having a good time or they're feeling really guilty because they haven't reached out to someone um, in a while and they're feeling like a bad friend. But why is that friend not reaching out to them, right? So they're putting kind of all the onus on themselves to kind of keep that relationship going. So I just think, I think, you know, we talk a lot about managing relationships and we talk a lot about health issues and we just really wanted to draw attention to the struggles of, of when you're disconnected and when you're feeling isolated. I think it's really important to talk about alcohol and the role that that plays here or can play for some people. So for me, you know, alcohol was always a part of my social life, meeting friends for drinks, going to whatever cocktail parties or parties or meeting people for dinner and having wine. And when I started to feel bad, I had to really clean up everything. You know, I cleaned up my diet. I had to give up Diet Coke. Uh, But giving up alcohol was something that I really had to do because drinking it made me feel really sick really, really sick. So I, I just kind of stopped and that's hard. It's hard to do in social situations because people hate it when they're drinking and you're not a lot of people do not, not everyone, but there are people who have a really strong reaction to you not drinking. They might give you a hard time. I've had people say, Oh, you're so good. You know, you're not drinking. You're so good. And I was like, I'm trying to explain, no, I can't, I'm having a hard time with it. Now my body's not really processing it like it used to. And I actually makes me really, really sick. But, you know, I think people, they don't want, they may have their own issues with alcohol and that could play into why they find it so not fun when when you're, when you're not drinking and they are. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, this goes back to what we were just talking about, which is kind of the pros and cons of isolation, right? I mean, isolation can, can be very lonely, but it can also be educating, if you are not feeling well and people are not reaching out to you, that's kind of important to recognize if you haven't talked to someone in a while. But I also think if you stop being the fun, you know, the fun one um, and you're not drinking as much and people are having a hard time with that, it also can make them feel uncomfortable, make you realize, "Mm, I think this person actually has more of an issue. You know, the type C person will be more likely to feel bad or feel upset or, or, or avoid not, not go out but can, you know, take a look at it in a different way. If someone is putting pressure on you to drink, that is a sign that maybe that person, it's really hard for that person not to drink. I think another point, I have a patient who talks a lot about uh, when she's not feeling well, she has a lot of stomach issues 
and either not wanting to draw attention to herself or be the center of attention, not wanting people to feel bad for her because, you know, whether she, cause she's not drinking and it means that people have to ask her why. Um, and then she has to explain, which makes her feel uncomfortable or unburdening people, or that she might order something different in a restaurant. Like, you know, she may be more during the um, FODMAP or, you know, the brat diet. And it's obvious that she's not kind of eating whatever she wants, or she may just not even want to eat at all because having some stomach issues. And I think a lot of times, you know, she will opt out. She won't go to a social event because of this. And that, you know, means you're kind of stuck with feeling kind of more sad and more lonely. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm here to say that as a type C person, you know, when I would get reactions to drinking like that, a lot of times I would just give in and have a drink when I shouldn't have, because I, I was like, oh, I don't want to disappoint this person. I want them to have fun. I don't want to be the one dragging down the mood or the party. So sure, I'll, I'll have a drink. And I regretted it every single time. <laughs> and, you know, I could stay disciplined a lot of times and just have one, but, you know, sometimes you get caught up in it and then have more than you should and, and take a really big step back. When you're dealing with chronic health issues like this, you know, your, your health has to be your very, very top priority. And it's really easy to let that priority slip in situations like these. It's so hard um, worrying about, you know, making someone else feel uncomfortable, obviously, is a huge component of this. Um, so we kind of touched on this briefly before, but just kind of saying a little bit more about, you know, many people, many of my patients and Anna, you know, you can talk about this if you want, but, you know, having any type of digestive issue or public floor, floor issues or any type of situation that means that you have to worry about going to the bathroom or when you're going to need to go to the bathroom obviously can also play a big part of reducing your feeling comfortable going out. And that can be so difficult, you know, when to go out and, and worrying is, is super, super hard. And then of course, if you have any social anxiety worries, which are a common thing that many people with type C struggle with worrying about doing something embarrassing in front of other people, it can make it really, really challenging. There is a, a great app called the Nerva app that is specifically for IBS and other digestive issues. It is based on hypnotherapy, which tries to reconnect the mind and gut. I actually uh, just signed up for a free trial because I wanted to check it out. So I'll keep you posted on that, but um, it might be something to think about and look into the Nerva app. We are not getting paid by Nerva, <laughs> just to let people know. Although we wouldn't, we wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I want to make one point on the pelvic floor issues, something that just kind of occurred to me we're talking about being isolated and, and uh, not socializing as much. When my pelvic floor collapsed, it was very uncomfortable to walk. At times it was, not always, but it, walking was certainly not a pleasant activity for me. And a lot of women go for walks together, right? And if now walking is kind of off the table as part of a social thing that you do with a friend, that's again, another thing that can isolate you. Yeah. I think what we really want to draw attention to in terms of this issue is just the need to somehow stay connected. You know, there may be people in your life, the relationship dynamics are now a little bit more clear and we may need to find support from other people. So how do we find our people? How do we find other people? It's, it's, it's talked about a lot now, how, as you get older, it's harder and harder to find friends and I think when you're dealing with one of these bigger issues like chronic fatigue 
or fibromyalgia or these, you know, digestive disorders, there, there are great support groups out there. And it's obviously easier if you're in an urban area to find a group like that to work with. But it's interesting because when I was dealing with all this kind of fatigue, I didn't seek out a support group. And I was kind of reflecting on, you know, why not? And like, what's the downside to, to doing that? And I think, you know, if I, if I had to pinpoint it, it's, you know, just being sort of embarrassed of my issues. I was really tired. Uh, I was, you know, working and I had small children. So adding one more thing to the, to the plate was kind of daunting, I guess. And I did, you know, we talked about the MBSR group that I joined. I did like a, the eight week program. And in that group, there was a lot of interaction with other people that had health issues. And at that time for me, for some reason, it just felt overwhelming to hear about their problems in addition to my own. And I think people that are sensitive and are more empathetic or empathic, it is kind of hard to take on other people's health issues. So that was, I think that was probably a little bit, I was like, okay, I'm dealing with this myself. I, I don't know if I can deal with your, with your issues too. Um, and then I, I think just more point there, Anna, I think that is so important. I think many, many people with type C are excessively thoughtful. And when they hear that someone else is struggling, it absolutely is hard. I'm just thinking of, you know, a bunch of my type C patients. I, I think that it's not selfish. It's just, it's just more, right? It, it, you're more. thinking about that person. You're thinking about what could I do to help that person? You're problem solving. You're thinking maybe I should call them later and talk to them or offer, you know, so it, I, I think that avoiding social support groups is a really important to be, I'm so glad that you're bringing this up. And I think also just, you know, being embarrassed to share. I think that's a normal response. It's not easy sharing with a complete group of strangers. I will just say, I don't think I've actually ever had someone come back after a support group and say that wasn't helpful. I'm sure. But if you're feeling like a failure to seek out a support group, you're kind of reinforcing to yourself, you know, that aspect of, of feeling like a failure. But I think if you can go into a support group kind of understanding all these things about yourself and figuring out ways to set boundaries around, okay, I'm here, I'm here to deal with my own health, the health of other people. I'm compassionate, but it's not up to me to save them, right? It's not up to me to figure this out for them. I'm simply here to lend an ear and then they're going to lend an ear to me. And that's really what it's all about to have someone to have that shared experience of we're having these same issues. 100%. And I would say that I just, I mean, if there's anything that you get out of a support group, it's realizing, oh my gosh, I'm so not alone with this. There's nothing wrong with me. So many people have these issues. So many fe people feel the same things. I'm a failure. I'm different. There's something wrong with me. So it's like, oh, wow. If many people feel like there's something wrong with themselves, I, I can't, you know, I'm not such a weirdo. Yeah, no, I, I think support groups, even just that, realizing that you're not alone, you know, we've talked a lot in the podcast in the past about feeling lesser, feeling different. And so it doesn't take that away. It just realizes it, it gives you a better perspective, I think, on it. Well, I did join some Facebook support groups and I found them interesting. I mean, I think there's validation, right? When you're seeing all the things that people are struggling with and you do feel less alone because you feel like, all right, there is a humongous community of people out there that are dealing with these health issues. But I think there are some real risks that we should just talk about when you 
join these groups, like for example, people will pose a question and say, Hey, you know, what's the best thing that's worked for you? Okay. And the, the group has 30,000 members <laughs> and you get 600 responses to this question. And all of a sudden you're bombarded with all this information. And there are all these things you're like, Oh, maybe I should try this. I should try this. I should try that. And it's physically impossible to try all these things. It's also going to cost you a small fortune. So there's just so much contradictory information that can come out of them. I think that's a really big risk that, that, you know, it's, it's just good to go in with your eyes wide open. I also think it's just hard to really get a meaningful relationship out of a virtual support group. Maybe some people get lucky and can do that, but I think an in-person support group, there's just no substitute for in-person one-on-one, like a real meaningful conversation that's face-to-face. I agree. I always think it's better to either have, um, if you can't do in-person, virtual is better than nothing, but something small, meaning like I would say 20 or less if possible, and either peer mediated or mediated by a professional. Um, Because you definitely want someone who's kind of guiding the support group, who sort of picks themes or who stops people from hogging all the space who kind of gently cut someone off if they're going on for too long. I think it is so helpful. I also think that an in-person support group is kind of like makes, it's like signing up for a trainer, right? You make an appointment or something like that and you're more likely to go. Whereas sort of less things that are kind of more tangential, you may not check as much or may not as make as much of a commitment to. Yeah, that's right. And there's also just, as a side note, people on these virtual support groups that I think are trying to sell you something, they've got their own agenda. And I think that's another risk just to be aware of. There are some nefarious characters out there that are that are really trying to yeah. sell you some snake oil. I will say that, so I have a patient who's, who goes to a support group through her gastroenterologist, it's from my psychologist, um, and she has found that extremely helpful. I also have another patient who found a local grief, grief group as we know, people with type C are the best caretakers um, because they're so thoughtful about other people, but it can be completely emotionally and physically exhausting how much you end up taking care of either a sick spouse or a sick parent um, or a brother or sister or uh, you know a child. Um, and so, you know, getting support around that is so important. So, you know, looking through a reliable source, I think is really important. I think Um, that point that you made about starting with your functional medicine doctor is a great one because a lot of people with these, you know, more invisible illnesses seek out a functional medicine doctor, and that can be a great place to find your, find your support group. Absolutely. So just one last thing also just to pay attention to is being willing to recognize the relationships we've, we've already talked a little bit about this but being really willing to recognize if you are feeling disappointed by some people in your life and and being honest with that in yourself um, and thinking about you know do I need to put some distance into this relationship do I need to put less effort into this relationship I think that's very important it might be sad and it might lead to some more loneliness, but maybe in the long run, it's going to be actually healthier and open you up to have more time and energy for healthier people in your life who can be more supportive to you. hundred percent. I did have someone tell me once that I complained too much about my health issues. And this was someone that I started to confide in. And that was just kind of devastating to me. So I, I did have to kind of 
go slowly from then on with who I opened up to just to kind of see how it would go and, and kind of make decisions accordingly on how much of my own energy and effort I was going to put into to relationships and how much openness and honesty I was going to put into them. Yeah, that's hard to hear. So we really hope you enjoyed our show today. This is such an important topic. Unfortunately, struggling with isolation and being socially disconnected can be so hard to get back to the health that you want to be. So we hope you took some nuggets away. As always, you know, we'd love to hear from you. And we hope you'll stay tuned for our next episode. If you're interested in being a guest on our podcast or there's a topic you want to talk about, please get in touch. Our email address is typectoolbox at gmail.com. If there's a story you'd like to share, we're putting together a book on Type C, and we can always hide identities if desired. Check out our blog and Instagram for more on Type C. It's typectoolbox.com and at typectoolbox. And leave us a review on the podcast. Thank you for listening today. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It's not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the National Alliance on Mental Illness website at NAMI, which is N-A-M-I dot org.